Thanks for joining me today for another episode of Locked on Flames. I'm your host, Kristen Anderson, and please help me grow this podcast by downloading it, subscribing, rating, and sharing. After Tuesday's 4-3 overtime win against the Arizona Coyotes, you'd swear that they'd lost the game 9-1 with the way that Flames head coach Bill Peters was disappointed in his group. A late push by the Flames allowed them to come back from a two-goal deficit and force overtime before, yep, you guessed it, Matthew Kachuk won it for the Flames. This team, it's kind of amazing that they are 9-7-2, and and frankly, they're quite lucky their record isn't worse. They've been well known for their ability to come back in games, notching their 34th victory since the 2014-15 season when trailing after two periods. But as Peter said on Tuesday night, that is not a recipe for success long term. Also during Tuesday's game, I thought it was interesting how Bill Peters put his pairings in a blender to get something going. Mark Giordano skated with Travis Hamanick, Noah Hannafin was with Rasmus Anderson, and Oliver Shillington was with TJ Brody. Tuesday's game, he talked about how the defense couldn't make a pass and they needed more out of their veteran guys but he said more obviously on Tuesday night after the game and he continued that conversation on Wednesday. Up next we'll hear from him about Tuesday's game, the Flames play of late, a scathing review of his team and what needs to happen moving forward. I don't love the way we're playing, that's obvious right? But I like our team a lot. What aspects don't you like is a better question perhaps. The aspects I don't like uh, are starts. Uh, emotional engagement, physical engagement, and our execution with the puck. Coach, you did say that uh, you need more out of your vets yeah. uh, as well. Um, what are some of the things that you need to see out of them to get back? Well, you know what, you got to provide a dimension. So everyone's quite clear on what they do to, to help a hockey team win games. And you got to provide that each and every night. And you got to start on time. Our starts haven't been good enough. So you got to get prepared individually to start. And then collectively gives us a chance to start on time and play everybody. We've got to play more people. We have uh, four guys on a recovery day that have played a lot of hockey, a lot of heavy lifting. So it would be nice to spread that workload around and get more people involved. Are some guys trying to do maybe too much instead of just yeah. staying within themselves? Yeah, that typically happens when you're, when you're not playing as well as you'd like. You, you start pressing a little bit. and you, uh, A lot of people, a lot of athletes in numerous sports, their fallback mechanism is I'll do it myself, right? And it doesn't work in this sport at all, right? You can't one verse five, two verse five. It doesn't work that way. You've got to be cohesive and play as a unit of five. And if it's a power play, you've got to execute. Penalty kill has been good. Uh, Those guys have done a good job. A lot of it uh, uh, due to the goaltending has been real good. The best penalty killer has to be your goaltender. And both guys have been real good on the PK when they've been in. And when we're structured and on top of it and aggressive on the penalty kill, we're successful. How is the decision-making in, in, I guess, crucial times of the game or different times of the game um, for your team or some of your, your players? Well, if you make a good decision, it shows up. If you make a poor decision, it shows up. So it's quite, it's quite simple. Is it frustrating when the poor decision is made late in games? Oh, it's frustrating when they're made at any time in the game, right? Make good decisions. Be realistic about what play is there. You talk about making plays all the time. There's lots of times there's not a play. There's times you're your end of the shift. It's two versus three. You got to get it in. You got to get it deep. Make their D turn. And you got to get off. That's a good play. And it's not a sexy play. It's not going to show up in the box score, but that's the play. Do you get a sense that your guys know this as well? I mean, you're going to reinforce things. I get that after yeah. practice. You're going to make your message known, not just to us. And I'm sure there's more to it to them. You get a sense that they're they're feeling the way you're feeling. Oh, for sure. And you can see it in the, in the body language. You can see it in the execution. It's hard to execute when you're tight. 
and your grip in the stick has got to be free and easy and the and the environment around the rink has got to be a positive environment you got to be excited about coming to the rink and right now there's a, you know it's not exactly where we want it to be so it's up to us to change it this group has always said that they're at their best when they you know come in loose and loose. driving yeah. loose and driving and chirping having fun and outworking the opposition outworking the opposition so you can hang your hat on that each and every day you know you're going to go to work you know the guy to the left and the right and across from you is going to show up and put the work in and that's part of playing that's for each a comfortable other. feeling but at, you, but at the same time last night you said they were too comfortable it's a comfortable feeling when you know the guy to the left of you the guy to the right of you and the guy across from you is going to go to work that gives you comfort it's uncomfortable when you don't know what that player to the left of you, to the right of you, or across from you is going to do. That's where we're at right now. That's where we're at. We know that. They know that. We have to change it. I have to change it. Better starts. Different lineups. Earn your opportunity. Too simple to ask why. They, they're questioning that left, right, you know, not knowing if... Well, you watch his play. <laughs> the proof's in the pudding. But why is it that you think that... Because it's a group that's familiar with one another. Yeah. And, and maybe that's a question you don't know yet. Yeah, well, I've got my own ideas, but why we'd be where we are at this stage of the year, I don't know. Short term, I know this is hard, but long term, can some early season adversity be a good thing yeah, for this group? it can, for sure. It's how you react to it and how you respond to it. And if you identify it and rectify it, then you're on your way. But if you don't, you allow yourself to stay in the same environment, the same situation, then it's going to be a long, long year long homestand. It's not the way we want. Right? You're going to have adversity throughout the year at some point. Ours is right now. And we did talk about the home schedule and the way it's set up. Is that a positive? I mean, right. you had these, we get to, you know, like, we're going to play tomorrow times. and then we get to practice. And I expect our team to be able to practice as a team without any recovery days on, I think it's Friday. We can play tomorrow is Thursday and then Friday is a real important day. Tomorrow's an important game. Friday's an important practice. The Flames will face the New Jersey Devils on Thursday night, which is the second of a four-game homestand. They'll host the St. Louis Blues on Saturday, and the Dallas Stars in, are in town on Wednesday. And that's four games in 11 nights, meaning that they are set to be nice and rested. There's five more practice days set for the Flames in this homestand, and that's a good thing because apparently they have a pile to work on. Meanwhile, the Devils scrap practice on Wednesday after Tuesday's 2-1 shootout win in Winnipeg, their second consecutive victory. New Jersey has points in six of its last seven games and has gone 4-1-2 in that span. They're currently amid a five-game road trip, which sees them play Edmonton on Friday and Vancouver on Sunday. Common sense would dictate that Mackenzie Blackwood would start on Thursday after he turned aside 32 of 33 shots on Tuesday. And to talk more about that subject, I talked to Abby Mastraco, who covers the New Jersey Devils for the Record Sports and NorthJersey.com, which is part of the USA Today Network. I'm with Abby Mastraco, who works for the Bergen Record and USA Today, New Jersey. She covers the Devils, and she's in Calgary to cover Thursday's game against the Flames. Tell us a little bit about the shaky start this season for the Devils. Yeah, it's definitely been a little bit of a feeling out period for a lot of guys. They they drafted Jack Hughes first overall. Then the next day at the draft, they added P.K. Subban. Uh, they brought in Wayne Simmons as a free agent. And then Nikita Gusev came over from the KHL. So there was, uh, there was a lot to work with in terms of new talent. And they were trying to figure out where everybody sort of fit, where to play everybody, like what kind of chemistry. And, you know, you can 
develop some chemistry in the preseason, but then when games really get started in the regular season and you're you're facing everybody's systems, and it was a little bit longer than anticipated. Uh, they've also, you know, they've got a couple young players. They're relying on an 18-year-old and Jack Hughes, and then they've got a 20-year-old uh, named Jesper Boquist, a forward from Sweden, who's been worked into the mix as well. And there's a lot of inexperience in the NHL between Hughes and Boquist and, and Gusev. So a lot of that roster turnover sort of led to a, a pretty disastrous start. They lost their first six games, but they're a little bit better than their record would indicate. They're starting to turn things around. They've won their last two. They've got points in their last four, and they, they, they're they on a little bit of... They're finding some momentum right now, and they they're now knows their roles and, and is playing well within those roles. It feels like the story with pretty much every NHL team this year is the tandem versus the 1A goalie. What are you seeing from Mackenzie Blackwood and Corey Schneider? So ideally, the Devils have they wanted a goalie to they're they're I guess they're they want to go kind of 1A and 1B which is pretty common these days to try and split the workload uh, like to steal a term from the NBA load management so they didn't really before the season started they hadn't really settled on a starting goalie in the preseason Corey Schneider and Mackenzie Blackwood both looked pretty good uh, early on they were good but they were not great there wasn't really any separation between the two I think right now we're seeing Mackenzie Kenzie Blackwood coming on pretty strong. He started the last three games and they won two of those. And he's really athletic. He's a big guy. He's like he's built like a linebacker. He's six foot four. Um, he's he moves really well in the net. He makes a lot of dynamic game changing saves. Uh, Schneider is it's, he's a different goalie. You know he's a veteran. He's a very technical goalie. He moves really fluid. He doesn't make a lot of those athletic saves. He just sort of makes the saves that need to be made and makes it look easy when he's playing well. I think Blackwood may be sort of grabbing that 1A spot right now. And, and he, if all goes well, they would have him make about 55 starts this season. And Schneider would sort of fill in the, the gaps from there. But, you know, last week they did acquire Louis Deming from Tampa. He's in the AHL right now. And they like some internal competition. And they didn't feel like they really had any at the goaltender position. So, you know, Schneider has a no-trade clause. And he's an important guy because Jack Hughes is actually living with Corey Schneider and, and his wife Jill in their kids. But uh, I, I think Louis Domingue in the AHL right now sort of pushes Schneider and Blackwood. And, you know, if Blackwood is injured or if he does kind of struggle, they've got a quick hook. They can send him back to the AHL and get Louis Domingue up there. And they know that he can compete at the NHL level. Interesting you mentioned Jack Hughes and his sort of being taken under the wing of um, Corey Schneider. I know when Matthew Kachuk first broke into the league, his I'm pretty sure his mom was out for a while and I'm, he, his dad was out for a while as well. And um, Sean Monaghan, same thing. His his parents actually, his mom moved out to uh, to Calgary to kind of um, get things going for him. It's interesting. It, it, you look at these guys, they're, they're so young, um, you know, 18 years old, 19 years old, famously Sidney Crosby lived in in Mario Lemieux's basement, of course, and, and like it's it, you you do take these things for granted. Has it been a bit of an interesting transition from that perspective for Jack Hughes? Yeah, he's you know like you said, he's eighteen, and it's it's a tough league to be an eighteen year old. I did a story on this at the beginning of the year because the Devils do have three first overall picks in Taylor Hall and Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer. So there's three guys who are part of a very small fraternity of hockey players who can sort of, they, and they all played in the league when they were 18. So they all handled it a little bit differently. 
recently. And Jack's gotten advice from his brother, Quinn, obviously, but his dad is working for CAA out in L.A. So they wanted him to Jim and Ellen. His parents have always said that Jack might be like the most mature and the most adult of the three kids. But at the same time, he's like he's a college freshman. He's he's away from home for the first time. And he I did. I think he might have just gotten his car in New Jersey. He either just recently got it or he's getting it. But he's been getting rides to and from the rink with Corey Schneider. So that's been kind of like a sounding board for him. He's gotten a lot of advice from Schneider on just sort of how to prepare for games, like be a pro. Some of the like smaller things that we don't always think about, like uh, one of the things he told me earlier this season was Schneider was telling him how to dress, like what to wear to games, what to wear on flights, what to wear during team meetings and just like the small things like that that you don't really think about when you come into the league. You think, you you know, you think about how's he going to acclimate on ice. On ice, he's acclimated okay, but New Jersey's a new area for him. New York is a new area for him. And having Schneider there as sort of a, a big brother and, and Jill there as well to help him adjust to New Jersey has, he's credited with a lot of his, he's credited those two with a lot of his development. So I've always liked covering Taylor Hall. I, when he was with the Edmonton Oilers, I, I thought that he was quite um, open and honest. And, and it was always refreshing to talk to him. And I'm sure you find that covering him in New Jersey. But um, had some interesting comments uh, to say about the uh, the New Jersey Devils fans and just, you know, how they were. I mean, maybe you can reiterate the exact comments. It seems to me that the New Jersey fans would be somewhat similar to Oilers fans in that they're quite vocal, win or lose, but especially if things aren't going so well. Well, these are, this is an East Coast fan base, you know, from Boston on down to Philadelphia or maybe even like DC, Baltimore and DC. This, these are some, look, New Yorkers are loud. <laughs> New Yorkers, New Jersey, New York, New Jersey, they are, they are loud. They're vocal. Um, they are sort of used to the Lou Lamorello way and times have changed in New Jersey and Taylor had some pretty candid comments. He's, he's very genuine. I, I appreciate that. He said that he felt like at times they've been it was a game against Tampa Bay and they've had a lot of they've struggled a lot against Tampa in the last couple of years. They played against them in the playoffs in 2018, lost in five games. And last year they were swept by Tampa in the season series. They lost the game 7-6 in overtime. They had a, a couple power plays that weren't really going anywhere and the fans were booing their own team. This is something that happens often in New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia, Boston. I talked to a few guys on the team about this. Look, the, the crowd noise helps. It pumps them up. It gives you an extra jolt of adrenaline. It's not that these are professional players. It's not that they have a hard time getting up for games. They they do this for a living. The adrenaline hits them the minute they walk into the arena, but the crowd noise does help. And they really like playing on the road. They really like playing in silent arenas. When you score that first goal and you take the crowd out of the equation, it makes a big difference. And so for the New Jersey fans to be booing their own team in their own building, I don't know that necessarily gave Tampa any sort of boost, but maybe it did because these guys have said that they like playing in hostile crowds on the road. Talking to some other players this week, they were like, you know, it, this isn't ideal. We don't want them to be booing us, but we know that we need to play better as well. Those first six games and losing a few after they won their first two, it, it's been it's been a pretty difficult stretch for, for these Devils fans. It's not like the team is having fun losing. Nobody likes losing. 
losing the first six games of the season, everybody's calling for the coach's head. That's not going to be the case, though, in New Jersey. It, it is such a coaching carousel. And I did a story, Flames General Manager Brad Treliving, and about the comparison between the coaching carousel rather than the GM carousel. Coaching carousel is like, there's like a two-year window max, it seems. And I think there were six or seven coaching changes last in the springtime alone. And then the year before that, it was the same. Like, it just, it, it, it is just such an unforgiving position. The devils seem to be staying the course, though. Yeah, they want some continuity, especially since they've had so much roster turnover. Uh, yeah, coaching as a head coach in any sport, you're hired to be fired and you might win a lot of championships and, and bring some p- prestige to the organization along the way, but there are very few Bill Belichicks in the world. And uh, I think right now the Devils are sort of taking the approach of the Washington Nationals who could have fired their manager back in May. And then again in June, it looked like he might be fired as well. But look what happened with them. They they stay the course. They make some some magic happen. They win the World Series. That what the Devils have done is they have added Tom Fitzgerald to the bench. He was an assistant GM and a really important person in terms of player development for the organization. And he does have NHL coaching experience. He worked with general manager Ray Shiro in Pittsburgh. So they added Fitzy to the bench just to sort of bring a different perspective and a different set of eyes down there. They don't have any head coaching experience on the bench. So I if you if you fire John Hines, who else is there? Like I I've heard a lot of the fans say that they want Ken Hitchcock or Daryl Sutter looking at what he's done with the Kings, but you guys know Daryl Sutter. I don't know that this is the right situation or the right team for Daryl Sutter. There's so many young players and this is a team built based on speed and skill and I just Daryl's Daryl's with the Ducks right now. He's helping helping out Dallas Eakins and I He's not going to come out of retirement. There's been a lot of fans who have thought that maybe Ray Shiro could go get Dan Bilesma off the bench in Detroit and see if they could recreate some magic. But I don't know that it does any good. You just create a bigger problem by firing a coach in the middle of the season right now. And at some point, you have to ask, like, maybe it's not the system. It's it's the players who aren't executing within the system. So so then what do you do? The goaltending's been good but not great. Blue line play has been terrible. So is that really the coach's fault? I I don't know. I don't I don't think that firing John Hines is the right move here. And I they're content to sort of let him turn things around right now. All right, that's it for me today. Join me again as I recap what happened on Thursday against the New Jersey Devils and set up Saturday's game against the St. Louis Blues. 